The R&B Solutionist Thinking Podcast Series for the creative minds with a passion for possibility. Hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Allow yourself for just a moment to think. What are South Africa's biggest problems right now? Some of our biggest issues right now have to be issues of inequality, abject poverty, massive levels of unemployment. More than half the people who live here don't have the skills to find a job. They will never find employment and a way out of the vicious cycle of poverty. So what does the future hold for them? And by implication, what does the future hold for you? If they have no future, what kind of future do you have? Now, if you take a defeatist attitude, you say it can't be fixed. I'll just add three bricks to my garden wall, up the amps on the electric fence and we'll all be fine. But lucky for us, this week's solutionist thinker, Tracy Chambers, comes up with solutions in the form of the clothing bank. Last year, we had about 760 women in our clothing bank program, which is now only one of our programs. And those women made 30 million rands with the profits. Now, those were women not able to earn a cent and completely dependent on the state. And what happens with that 30 million rand is that 30 million rand gets spent at the spaza shop and gets spent on crash fees. So it has a ripple effect in the economy. I'm Bruce Whitfield and you are listening to Solutionist Thinking, brought to you by RMB. Tell me about the clothing bank. The clothing bank was started by myself and my co-founder, whose name is also Tracy. It must be a Tracy thing. In 2010. And what we do is we partner with big retail in South Africa. We really have all the major players on board. And they donate all of their excess product to us. So last year we got 1.8 million units with over 110 million rand that they paid good money for that they couldn't use in their businesses anymore. And they give us that product and we use it to really change lives. So we work um, now actually across the spectrum with mostly unemployed mothers, but now unemployed men. And we help them use the product as a tool to learn how to become a trader, the simplest form of business. Buying and selling, we, we have a, a motto that we live by, buy low, sell high, do it often for cash. We're really trying to instill a culture of um, self-employment, a culture of trading so that people can actually create their own wealth and are no longer dependent on employment to create that wealth. At what point did you have an epiphany? The, here was a problem. Here was a an untapped resource. And here was a solution. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was an epiphany. So it was a, it was a process of awakening. Um, so I worked for Woolworths for nine years, ended up as head of finance. I was a, um, a corporate animal who drove to work in my car and parked in the underground garage and really had very little connection to the real problems in South Africa. The only connection I had was through my wonderful nanny who raised my children while I wasn't able to raise them myself. And, you know, it's the signs and the conversations that you have with the issues with Women in South Africa, 68% of all women are single um, in South Africa. You know, a grant system of 380 rand doesn't even pay for milk and bread. And then it was a sabbatical and an awareness and doing things that I started to love, which was mentoring and teaching. And then Tracy Gilmore, who really forced me to have a cup of coffee with her and around an idea she had and essentially put that all on the table and threw that idea out and added some things that we wanted to do and where we thought we could have the biggest impact. And 
poof. And one of the things that, you know, did influence my thinking was knowing that there was excess product, but also knowing that I would give my secondhand clothes to my nanny, who was actually naturally entrepreneurial. And, you know, she would be making 3000 Rand a weekend uh, trading in my very average clothes. So it was, it was all of those things and a very practical solution, really. Um, I can't say I woke up with a dream one night and went, there it is. It was really signs. and. But it's the openness to pick up on the signals that differentiates people who come up with great ideas from the rest of us who simply choose to put our heads in the sand or choose to ignore the obvious or simply think, that sounds like a bit too much trouble. When you were sitting at Woolworths doing your corporate job and realizing that there was an incredible amount of waste in the system, where did that waste go before you started harnessing that waste? So what retailers are doing is they're either putting it in landfills, uh, particularly homeware, shoes, electrical appliances, uh, six glasses, one breaks, five of them are going to get smashed and put in a landfill. And for clothing, they were trying to donate it to charity, but, you know, bras and high heel shoes were going to orphanages and uh, you know, there just wasn't a fit in most of the high fashion merchandise is not what charities need. They need baby grows and pajamas for the elderly. So um, it was really disappearing into the system. It is also causing major control issues, me being an accountant. So charities appearing at your back of your door, not necessarily validated. Could it be somebody's brother's sister's cousin? So it was really a bit of a mess. And, you know, retail space is expensive. So store managers would be jumping up and down saying, can somebody just take this off my hands? And, and you know, already written off the system, so nobody really bothered with what it was. It's only when we started bringing it together. I mean, I really had, I mean, you look at numbers, you know, on, on a retail income statement and, you know, mark down write-offs and it's a big number, but you don't have a sense of what that would mean in physical products. Yeah. We now have five warehouses around the country that are bursting with product. And even the retailers who and the executives who come to visit us are astounded at how much waste is actually generated um, in the retail supply chain. It's it's astounding. And I think, you know, that's an environmental issue as well, which is a secondary impact that we have around the circular economy. But it's it's massive. It's not only the process of throwing away. It's the process of cultivation of the crop that creates the fabric, the uh, the process that takes to generate the fabric to then translate that into an item of clothing to be transported, to be put on the shelf, to be ignored, to then be chucked into the landfill. It's a long supply chain of waste. Absolutely. And we look at it as it's gold. Last year, we had about 760 women in our clothing bank program, which is now only one of our programs. And those women made 30 million rands with the profits. Now, those were women not able to earn a cent and completely dependent on the state. And what happens with that 30 million rand is that 30 million rand uh, gets spent at the spaza shop and gets spent on crash fees and gets spent on not standing in the queue at a clinic all day and losing her job. She's able to go and pay a clinic sister to inoculate you know, the, the child, child or what whatever. It, yeah. So it, it has an, an, you know, it has a ripple effect in the economy. I don't think we understood the pot of gold at the time. We we just were prepared to try something. We were happy to help 10 women. And then it really just, the doors just kept opening um, once we took the first step. What was that first step? For so many people who might listen to this and go, I want to try and make a difference. It's so complicated and there's so many obstacles and there's so many insurmountable difficulties that you've simply got to identify what that first step is going to be that then causes all of the other dominoes to fall and you've got no choice but to keep up. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you fall over. If you're going to start something like this, 
you've got to find your why. Why do you really want to do it? And if your why doesn't make you cry, then it's not your why. And when we got this epiphany over that cup of coffee, we didn't debate whether we were going to do this. Literally, Tracy ran in one direction and said, we need a building to start. And she contacted the city of Cape Town. They said, we'll give you premises in the back of an orphanage. It was absolutely shocking, but we said yes. And I went and knocked on um, the CEO of Woolworths' office, who I had a relationship so with. So that was your first step. You yeah. went to where you knew there was yeah. a resource and a problem that you could help them solve. Yes, and I had a relationship. I think that's critical. So I stuck with what I knew and I used the networks and relationships that I had and trust was the most important factor. I left Woolworths to take a sabbatical. I was trusted and I hadn't burnt any bridges. I'd built relationships over many years. I could talk their language and I don't think Woolworths has ever made a decision that fast, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, he said yes. And we, then we were, we're there, we were in trouble. Then we actually had to do something mm-hmm. because people said yes. And then it was really, we knocked on door after door and that door just kept opening and it's sort of been momentum. That doesn't mean it's not hard. There are many days where I cry a lot because the stories that I'm, that I hear every day from these women and what women in South Africa have to endure, no human being should have to endure that. And I never realized, I had no inkling as to the, 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 yeah, the, the, I can't even describe it. I get emotional when I talk mm, about it. I had it. no inkling that people were living under those conditions. And also, you know, there's a struggle as in there are many people who are really stuck. They've lost hope. And even though there's a wonderful opportunity before them, there's so much depression, trauma, that they literally can't get off the couch. They've given up. And you can see their potential, and they can't reach for it. And that can be frustrating. So there are dark days. But if you found your why, and your why makes you cry, you cannot stop. You just keep pushing forward, and you keep focusing on the successes. And you, you look back, and you think, wow, oh, my goodness, here we are. One day at a time, and you let those successes feed you, you know, nourish you, fill you up, because this work is very emotional, can deplete you, and you need to keep filling yourself up with the successes. How did you identify your first individual? Because so much of this project is predicated on you ensuring that you get the right people in place, not only to motivate you, but also to motivate your suppliers, to motivate the entire principle. You've got to be very selective as to who you allow in which is as heartbreaking because you've got to say to some people, I'm sorry, this is not for you. Absolutely. The most critical factor is that somebody is self-motivated, that this is their why. They want to change their life. And self-motivation and what we call internal locus of control, which is a belief that I have control over my life. And we were very clever in the beginning. We didn't realize it. But we went to an organization called the Volunteer Center. And our thought was that if people were prepared to volunteer – then they'd already demonstrated that they had self-motivation. If I'm prepared to work for nothing just to learn skills and I don't expect anything in return, then that's somebody that has walking towards opportunity rather than us going to drag her off the couch. And I think that was the right choice. And we've really just developed that and refined that. And we, we put people through a lot of hoops. We, we make it really hard to get into the clothing bank because that's part of the test. Do you want this? How hard are you prepared to fight for this opportunity? How do you test that with somebody who has had that life that you said you could never have imagined people have had? How do you do it without feeling as if you're creating a system of abuse where you are truly wanting to test somebody's mettle? Because if you give the wrong person the opportunity, the right person is going to miss out potentially. Yeah. 
So, you know, we put people through a series of workshops. We play a lot of games. We try and get to the real person because the interview person and the real person are too, often two different people. And actually, it's the extroverts who are sometimes less likely to be successful, but they interview well. Um, and we're looking for this thing called internal locus of control. And, and actually, you get really good at identifying it. And somebody with, which has the opposite, which is external locus of control, is always blaming others for their circumstance. And you can actually hear it in their language very quickly. I couldn't because. And everything else is because somebody else did something to me. We also look for somebody who's hasn't just got a life littered with broken relationships, is able to establish relationships, has a good support system. And then often it's about the timing in her life. Is this the right time for her? And um, on average, we see that the right time is about 35. So she's had three kids from three different men. She's tried one contract after the next and one redundancy after the next if she's had work. And she's ready and she knows that if she doesn't do it for herself, nobody's going to do it for her. And her kids are getting to that age where she really wants to invest in education. So often the kids are the driver. So you look for all of these things and then we always take an outlier. And we were just talking about one of our outliers who's gone on to do incredible things today. Sometimes it's just their moment and all factors were working against them, but they grabbed this opportunity with both hands and and made it work. How does the program work? You said last year 760 women went through the clothing bank program. Is it a 12-month internship, for example? It's a two-year program. It started as a one-year program, and then we realized we needed to ta- extend it to two years, really because there's so much healing work that needs to go on. We were really working from the inside out, and that's developed a lot over the years. So we bring her into a two-year program after going through this extensive selection, and then she gets over a 1,000 hours of training and development. It's an ecosystem of support, of nurturing, of building self-esteem, self-belief, and giving her the opportunity right from the start to experience business. So she starts trading in the product from the second week after uh, she gets initial two weeks of training. And then she's coming back weekly for training, weekly for life coaching, which is dealing with behavioral changes. She has mentoring. She can see a counselor. And then she's buying and selling all the time. And so we have the capacity to support about 800 women at a given time. So we bring 400 new in a year and the other 400 are are in their second year. In their second year, they do computer literacy. So everybody generally comes in computer illiterate. They leave computer literate, very integrated into marketing tools for their businesses. And we um, offer a learnership in the second year. Many people could leap to the conclusion, not knowing anything about what you do, that this is a charity. This is about as far removed from a charity as you can possibly get. It's the complete opposite. So I don't believe in charity. Charity destroys dignity. And if you listen to the women in our program, they'll tell you the last thing they want is charity. They want to learn how to do this for themselves. And it's it's a great joy. I mean, women will tell me, uh, they'll come into my office regularly and say, Tracy, you won't believe it. I just paid for my child's university education. And the joy and the satisfaction you get of not being dependent on anybody to give your child a bursary. Tracy, I bought this piece of equipment for my business or whatever, and I did it. Nobody did it for me. And that's really what we're trying to cultivate. So whilst we as an organization are non-profit, but we would considered one of the leading social enterprises because we generate a revenue and are able to fund 80% of our costs with that, the actual principle of charity and giving people things for free 
is exactly the opposite of what we're trying to work towards. When these people come to you, they have nothing. How do you start them off? How do you get them started on this process whereby they can get the mentorship and the training and the support and the counseling and the stock? So we obviously get the stock from retailers, um, and it's incredible stock. It's This is not second-hand stock. That's the differentiation. We're getting hot stock. <laughs> so we have that. We process that through our warehouse. And then after the two weeks of training, which is really developing a healthy relationship with money, is fundamental to success, and that's the first week. And the second week is basic business principles. And then we give her 600 rands worth of stock to get started. But we don't give it to her. She buys it on credit for the first chance. She pays that back, very important for her. And then she starts trading. So that 600 rand will become 2,500 rand overnight. And then it's buying and selling. And we run a cash business from then on. So we, we don't – we work really hard – to unlearn the whole mm. credit mentality that is there. And credit about selling on credit is about self-belief, that you have something of worth to sell, and that if this person doesn't want it, somebody else will have it. So we work a lot on the psyche. I think that's really important. You started in 2010. 760 women were beneficiaries of this one project, the Clothing Bank project, last year. The multiplier effect of the number of people whose lives you have directly impacted through an idea conjured up in a coffee shop <laughs> must be quite extraordinary. Yeah, well, we've trained over 2,500 women, but it's ramping very fast now. Uh, we took three years to really start scaling. People talk about the hockey stick graph Absolutely. where you are now heading up the shaft of the hockey stick. Absolutely. And we've also you know, now got all the majors on board and we're getting lots of products. So with confidence, we can continue to grow. We just had a meeting, our board meeting last night. One of our board members is on the Willys board. And she's saying, what about Botswana? What about Namibia? What about the USA? You know, the model is completely replicable. There's excess and there will always be excess. And, and there will um, always be need. There will always be need. And, and poverty is not only in the developing world. But what is beautiful working with mothers, and this is exactly our intent. If you help a mother, you help a child. You don't just help a child with money. Yes, you do. Those are all very important things. Kids are going to better schools. But it's the self-worth of the mother. And the role model that she now becomes. So, and the kids are starting to say, well, you know, my mom was a businesswoman. She wasn't an unemployed, you know, hawker. She was a businesswoman. We talk about how she languages herself. And kids are starting to say, hey, I want to be more like my mother. It fundamentally changes people's outlook on life. You've incorporated men into programs now too. We got clicks on board as one of our retail partners and they started giving us toasters and irons and kettles every time you return your kettle and iron, it comes to me now. And we didn't know what to do with it. Our women weren't buying it. So, you know, many of them weren't working. So we really, again, had a problem to solve and we had men as applicants and we chose to go that route. We were nervous because our core was women. And we've had an epiphany through that process in, in that we now work with men. We help, we provide them with technical skills to repair appliances. And then we provide the entire clothing bank program in full extent with, you know, the emotional development as well. And we have been astounded at how the men have responded. Men are just forgotten in this space. You know, they're pushed aside. Let's help the women. And, you know, men just haven't got a voice. They haven't got a place. They haven't got male role models. Nobody's asked them how they feel and why they're so angry. And we had our first graduation um, two weeks ago. And, I, I mean, a huge man who was really angry when he came to the clothing bank stood and sobbed. And for the first time in his life has been able to access that. And the anger's gone. 
So we've really realized that, you know, men are a major problem in this country around violence. But if you help women, she's still got to go back to that man in that community. So men are the problem and the solution. And we're thoroughly enjoying working with the men. And we're getting incredible results because we, we had a problem to solve. And, and now we've realized how important it is. Can this be done a thousand times over? Because it's the sort of lift South Africa needs. Yes, I think if we can ask corporate South Africa to look at what do they throw away that could have value. And I believe that it can be done with any product type that doesn't require, that has a business model. The cost to reprocess it don't outstrip the cost of selling it, as well as there's demand and market. Why not? Everybody asks me, why do the retailers give you this? Surely it destroys their market. And their response is, well, we created this product, so we have a responsibility to use it wisely. And secondly, that woman who couldn't afford a particular retailer's garments is now experiencing it and is going to move up the economic chain is going to become my customer. So it's a really nice long-term strategic view that they're taking. And I think that's what we need to do. Whenever I speak to our corporate partners, if we don't have a country anymore, we don't have a company. And the two are not separate, and they're coming closer and closer together. And companies can do it from within. You know, you don't have to create organizations outside or partnerships. The possibilities are endless, and the solutions are not that complex. The remarkable solution is thinking of Tracy Chambers, the founder of the Clothing Bank, with her partner in crime. Not really in crime, are you? Partner in, in, in social enterprise, Tracy Gilmore. Tracy Chambers, thank you so much for sharing that story with us on Solutionist Thinking with RMB. RMB, Solutionist Thinking. For more on this series, visit 702.co.za.